Hey, what you're about to listen to is the podcast version of what was a live radio segment on KPFA. Consequently, when you hear us give out a call-in number, you don't want to call it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, it is already too late, and nobody on the other end of that phone number is going to have any useful answers for you. You can, however, send in a question for our next episode by shooting an email to upfront at kpfa.org. You can also tune in for the next edition live and ask your question over the phone then. We normally air Monday mornings on KPFA just after 7.30 news headlines. All right, let's go to this week's Corona Calls. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks on Monday, to new developments in the world of COVID-19. We're doing it a day late this week because of the holiday. Our guest and your guide, Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. I wanted to start by uh, picking up on, on our recent conversation uh, about the subvariant nicknamed Pyrola. It is BA.2.86 because uh, we seem to have gotten some good news for once. Several laboratories have been running tests on uh, how our antibodies and immune cells cells fare against the virus uh, in a simulation in a laboratory. Uh, and the answer seems to be better than expected uh, based on, on what people looking at the genetic sequence of the virus were saying. Um, how, how much stock should we put in these laboratory results? Well, the laboratory results look good, but we always, you know, there's always the caveat that what looks good in the laboratory may not play out in real life. Still, it's good to have good news. And this was, there were three pieces of good news. Um, well, at least two pieces of good news. Um, one was that this new subvariant of Omicron um, does not appear to be quite as infective or has not quite the ability to infect us as we thought it might and worried that it might and may not be as quite as competitive in terms of its infectivity as the current strains that are circulating. So that was good news. Again, this is in the test tube, but still good news. Uh, the other piece of good news was that it looks like our immunity that we may have had from previous vaccines or the immunity we have from previous infections or some combination of that looks like it may work pretty well against this new subvariant. Not as well as we would love, but better than we thought it might. So those are two really good pieces of news. There's also some epidemiological news. That is, how is this virus behaving? Well, when you and I first talked, started talking about this virus, we, we I think there, was, there were nine isolates had been identified, but different parts around the world, and that was what was concerning. Now there are 39, but that's been about three weeks. So it's not doesn't appear to be growing as fast or spreading as fast as we had feared it might. And that goes along with the observation that it may not be able to infect us quite as well as we thought it might. So maybe it's not going to be able to outcompete what's going on now, or maybe in this horse race that you and I have been talking about, Brian, maybe in this horse race, um, it's trying really hard, but it's not catching up as fast as we thought it would. We should caveat this by saying that does not mean that other subvariants are not spreading. Um, the the sewage 
level COVID charts that that I look at periodically, and I'm sure you do too, show a steady increase uh, in in most of the samples collected around the Bay Area and in a big chunk of the country writ large. That the amount of COVID out there is on the rise. It just doesn't appear to be um, the strain of virus that so many people were concerned about just a couple weeks ago. Right. You and I are talking about one particular subvariant of Omicron. But in terms of what's happening with the pandemic, yes, we are in a, well, if not a surge, but certainly a swell of cases. Um, and it's continuing. And it looks like it's going to continue throughout um, this month and probably the fall, but that's just a guess. So, right. It's not like, um, oh, good, we can breathe a sigh of relief and just go back to um, not offer, not getting vaccinated, getting the boosters and and not protecting ourselves. We still need to do those things. There's an awful lot of people getting sick right now. Mm. Um, on that note, we should probably go to questions. If you'd like to put yours in over the phone, the number is 1-800-958-9008. Our guest, as usual, is Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Again, 1-800-958-9008 for your corona calls. We have a lot stacked up in the inbox this morning, and the first uh, is about booster timing. This comes from Amy in Oakland, who is wondering how soon the first shots are going to arrive in drugstores. Uh, she is on edge because her spouse is about to start medication for chronic leukocytic lymphoma, leukemia, excuse me, um, and the medication may blunt her spouse's immune response to the vaccine. She is wondering whether it is worth delaying the treatment or getting the old vaccine now and writing off getting the the tuned-up vaccine in the near future. Sure. This is really a question, obviously, for um, her husband and Amy and her husband's doctor about when to delay treatment, whether, whether delaying she, treatment. She said spouse. I don't want to assume spouse is a husband. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll speak in generalities. The CDC is meeting to give guidelines for this new vaccine in, on the 12th, so in seven days, one week. What we've seen in the past is that within a very few days after that, the vaccine becomes available. And I know that the uh, drug companies that produce this, the three drug companies that produce the vaccine, um, are have been gearing up to have it available once they have guidelines from the CDC. So I would expect at the latest, we would probably see this in the third or maybe at the very latest fourth week of September of this month. So it's going to be available pretty soon. And I hate to see people um, not avail themselves of this. And it, um, well, let me say this differently. I, hate, I would hate to see people go ahead and get the previous booster now because it's been six months or more or a year or more um, when this other one is so close. So if at all possible, just be more careful until you, well, I'd be more careful even after getting this new booster, but be exceptionally careful not to get COVID in the next two or three weeks and then get the new booster. It'll take maybe a couple of weeks to have optimal immunity from that new booster. Um, there are a lot of people who are immunocompromised, and there are a lot of these folks we want to make sure that they get um, 
they have optimal protection from the vaccines. So we're in this interregnum period right now where we're just sort of in between. So try to hold off if we poss- you possibly can to getting the new booster. Speaking of boosters, another listener who did not sign their name wrote in to ask about Novavax, uh, wondering if it targets a different part of the virus from the ever-changing spike protein, and uh, if that would be a good prospect for their next vaccine. Novavax tar- targets the same tar- uh, target as as the as the two other vaccines, the two mRNA vaccines, but Novavax is made differently it's it's more it's a more what what i would call conventional vaccine in terms of presenting um the proteins to us that we respond to um it in all the preliminary trials it looks like it's going to be very effective it may not give quite the higher level of um antibody response neutralizing antibody response as the two mrna vaccines on the other hand Again, very preliminary data suggests that Novavax may give you a little longer protection than the mRNA vaccines. I'm going to really underline three times may because everything that we see prior to the release of of not just vaccines, but any medication, once millions and millions and millions of people start taking it, we learn a lot more about how how they're going to perform. Bottom line, I think Novavax is a very good alternative to the mRNA vaccines if for some reason you'd prefer to do that. Beyond that, we just don't have enough data to to give advice. I think the CDC will is, probably say something about this on September uh, on the 12th of this month. Is Novavax going to be re-released as a booster targeting the same variants? Yes. It's it's going to be a monovalent vaccine just like the mRNA vaccines. Got it. All right. Uh, next question comes from Les and Susan, who did not mention their city of origin. Uh, this is following up on a recommendation you made last week to get Paxlovid ahead of traveling. If you're worried, you may not have access to it if you get sick while you're away. Uh, they say, Kaiser won't give us Paxlovid. Any suggestions on workarounds? Uh, um the best I could suggest would be to talk to their physician at Kaiser as opposed to the pharmacy at Kaiser and explain the situation. Um, otherwise, otherwise I don't have a good suggestion. They could, um, they could try to get Paxlovid through another physician who could, or their physician who could prescribe it to a pharmacy, but they'd have to pay for it because it's outside of Kaiser. Speaking of Paxlovid, um, when you and I were talking just a moment ago about this BA.2.86 and all of its qualities, um, another good feature is that um, it appears to respond, again, it's very preliminary, but it appears to respond to Paxlovid just like everything, all the other variants. So that's good news. But I don't know what else to tell Les and, and Susan. Um, I just don't know what else to say. I'm sorry. I I will not dole out any medical advice, but will dole out institution advice, which is uh, if you run up against a block in any institution, find someone who wants to help you and then ask them, what words do I need to say for you to be able to give me what I want? Uh, get pretty far in the world with that. 
All right. Nice. Next question. <laughs> Next question comes from Steve, who has a biology question. He says, I heard from someone last weekend that people with type A blood have less risk of getting COVID. Is there anything to this? Well, Steve, I'm, I'm also very interested in this question because I have type A blood, but unfortunately, it's the opposite, at least, again, in laboratory data uh, and epidemiologic data. That is, that people with type A blood appear to be to appear to get infected with a little greater facility by this virus than people with other types. So not great news, but tucked into that not great news, there's a little bit of good news, and that is that the outcome of infection, if you have type A blood, doesn't seem to be any different than if you have other types of blood. So bad news, if you have type A, you may be a little, it may be easier for the virus to infect us, if you, but it doesn't appear to have a difference in terms of long-term outcome from the viral infection. I feel like we're doing the lightning round on email questions here. Uh, by the way, if you want to send one in, it's coronacalls at kpfa.org. We also have open phone lines if you'd like to ask your question live, 1-800-958-9008. That's 1-800-958-9008 for your corona calls to Dr. Swartzberg. Uh, Marsha in Fairfax wrote to ask, is there any data on whether long COVID is coming from Omicron and its subvariants? Uh, yes, there is. Asking if there's a difference in rates of long COVID. Okay. Um, good news there. Omicron appears to be less likely to cause long COVID than its predecessors. How much less? It's not clear. But the data seems to be pretty consistent now since Omicron started visiting us in uh, December of uh, 21. And that is that there appears to be a little less long COVID uh, since then. Now, when we look at that data, you have to recognize that not only is the virus changing, but the immunity in our population is changing since December of 21. And that is we have many, many more people with some degree of immunity. As a matter of fact, probably 95, 96% of the American population has some degree of immunity against this virus now because of previous infection or vaccination. So that may be playing a role in reducing long COVID. We know that if you're up to date with your vaccines, you have a, a significantly less risk of getting long COVID than if you're not. So bottom line, it looks like Omicron is less likely to cause long COVID. Um, that is confounded somewhat by the immunity and background immunity in our population. Um, that's essentially what we know right now. Isn't it also confounded by the fact that a lot of people already have long COVID? Like you're not going to show up as a new case of long COVID twice. That's right. Um, unfortunately, there's an awful lot of people with long COVID. Now, we don't know if you won't show up with long COVID twice. Let's say you've had long COVID. Most people get well, at least within a year. Uh, tragically, mm -hmm. there's some people still at two years and growing that uh, they've had long COVID with no signs of abatement. That said, if you've had long COVID, you've gotten over it, and then you get infected again, you still are at risk for getting long COVID again. All right, let's go to the phone lines. 
First up, we'll take a call from Judith in San Francisco. Good morning, Judith. Morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband and I are in our 80s, and I'm on day about 23 of a faint, now faint, positive line. Uh, I was pretty sick. Um, my question is, should we uh, get the new vaccine at the beginning of the cycle that it's given or uh, toward the end? Uh, because we, we also want to get some shots in RSV vaccine. Right, Judith. Well, the, uh, type A, by, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Join the type A club. Um, right. the, 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 the good news, the bad news is, of course, you have COVID. The good news is you're getting well. Um, right. Also, the good news is you've just been immunized. You have great immunity right now when you get exposed to this virus again. It, it's, now, how long that will last is unclear. Um, probably a matter of months um, in terms of protecting against a new infection, a matter of very few months in terms of protecting against a new infection. But for the next two or three months, you're going to have very good protection. So, no, I would not go ahead and jump in and get the new vaccine right now when it becomes available. I would wait at least three months, and then you could get the booster at that time. Um, depending upon what's happening with the pandemic, if we have some kind of miracle and we have a, a winter that is so calm that it's, nothing's happening, then you could even take it out to four months, maybe five months. But it's likely we're going to have problems in the winter with this virus. So I would say if where you are now, so September, October, November, uh, maybe sometime mid-December um, would be a time you might be looking at getting the vaccine. That would be my advice. Uh, by the way, uh, go ahead and get the flu vaccine when um, when you were planning to, which I would recommend to be the end of October or early November, unless we have an early flu season. So plan on that. And also, if you haven't gotten the vaccine for RSV, I would plan on that once you're well over COVID. All right. All right. Thank you. So Good luck, much. Judith. Thanks. Good to hear that you're on the path to recovery. Uh, let's go out of state for our next caller. Eliana has called in from Houston, Texas. Good morning, Eliana. Hello. Good morning. Um, What's your I, question? I was wondering, oh, uh, my question is, is, have there ever been studies done on people that recovered from COVID to see how long the natural immunity lasts? Eliana, that's a great question, and, and there have been studies. The protection you get from a previous infection is excellent. Um, it's as good as we can get. Uh, is it as good as the vaccines? It appears to be. Is it better than the vaccines? I think we'd put a question mark there. Um, it may be, give you a little longer and more robust protection than the vaccines. Certainly the combination of the vaccines and having previously had COVID is we think would be optimal. In terms of duration after you've had COVID, in terms of protection, protection against getting infected again appears to be short-lived, just like with the vaccine. So we're talking about a matter of a very few months, maybe two months, maybe three months, but not much longer than that. In terms of protection against hospitalization and death, this, this may be, and I'm going to underline may, but it may be where having previously been infected is really good. And that is it may give you longer term uh, protection against hospitalization and death. But again, I want to underline may because we know that the vaccines, uh, the two mRNA vaccines, 
give what appears to be long-term protection against hospitalization and death too. So not sure how those two stack up. Maybe we can turn uh, Eliana's question into a practical one. Uh, if you have been sick, is there a hard and fast rule on uh, how long you don't worry about your next booster for? Yeah, and I think that goes back to Judith's question, and that is that you're really well protected against getting infected for two or three months, and then I'd look at the, getting the new vaccine. Um, depending upon what's happening with COVID, of course, if, if COVID is quiescent, then you could drag it out a little longer. The reason why we like to separate uh, the vaccines by four to six months, preferably six, and the same thing with infection, we'd like to separate having infection as long a time as possible is because that may give you a better response when you get vaccinated. That longer duration appears to be helpful in terms of getting a better response to vaccine. There's this thing called imprinting that Brian, you and I have talked about over time mm -hmm. and how much of a role that plays is still unclear, but we think it's important. So that's why we like to separate these vaccines from a previous infection or from a previous vaccine. All right, uh, try to take one more call. John's on the line in Fresno. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. This is sort of a long-term thank you. This this program has gotten me through a lot of misinformation and, and very practical advice, and I really appreciate Dr. Schwartzberg taking these two or three years of time and uh, talking to us and answering our questions. Is there any possibility that the summary well, I have two questions. One is, have we gotten to the fact that COVID is essentially another disease that we don't want to get, and it's not an emergency looking forward? We just need to get our shots and follow our doctor's advice and try to stay healthy, or do we have to continue to turn our life upside down to avoid it? And the second question is, is there any possibility of getting that very useful summary that you just had available through your website. Thank you. Well, John, thank you very much for those kind words. And also, I want to thank you. You've called in pretty regularly throughout the pandemic, and you've always had excellent questions. The In terms of the upside down, uh, turning your life upside down, I can only tell you how I look at it. I don't look at COVID now as just any other infection. And I think a major reason for that is long COVID. I also recognize that COVID is more virulent. That is, it causes more severe disease than influenza. Today, even with Omicron, it causes more severe disease, more hospitalizations and death than influenza, and influenza is a bad disease. So I look at COVID as still something different from the other respiratory viruses that we've grown used to. Um, the translation to that in terms of everyday life it's not turning my life upside down. I'm teaching in person this, this semester, for example, where I haven't in the past, but I still am much more cautious than I've been prior to COVID visiting us. And, and I'm gonna let Brian answer your second question. You know, we're, we're publishing this segment uh, as its own podcast feed now uh, for people who just want to pick it up and didn't necessarily have their alarms clock set for the live show. Uh, you can find it by looking for KPFA Corona Calls. And in the show notes, if we have referenced a new paper or study, uh, 
I try to include a synopsis and a link out to it so you can read the original source information for yourself. That's KPFA, Corona Calls. Um, and if I could jump in on the same question, Dr. Schwartzberg, I, I would say I, I do feel like there's kind of a false dichotomy here. Um, like COVID is clearly with us for the foreseeable future. And that does not mean back to normal. It means a new normal in my mind. Um, you know, we've, we've learned a lot of things. We know that it is airborne. That's a very good excuse to increase air filtration in just about every public place where people congregate. Uh, we have learned the value of having well-staffed public health agencies. Um, I, I would hope that in enduring policy changes that they're better funded. And we've learned that masking can afford some amount of protection. And in a lot of settings, there's like almost no cost to putting a good mask on if you're going to be at high risk of exposure. So, you know, I, I, I'm never not going to wear a mask on an airplane. Like, <laughs> why, why would I go through an international airport bare-chinned? Well put, Brian. Um, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, you and I have talked about this in the past just with masks, uh, although I agree with everything you just said. Um, part of the culture in uh, many countries in Asia is wear a mask. Uh, and people do wear a mask in situations where they could pick up a respiratory virus. I look back and think, you know, uh, I've been too casual about influenza. Uh, it, it's a very serious disease taking anywhere from fifteen to 30,000 lives every year in the United States um, that wouldn't have died otherwise. So um, I'm going to be, masks are going to be part of um, my culture going forward in certain circumstances, but it's not going to turn my life upside down, COVID. All right. Dr. Schwartzberg, thank you so much for spending another Monday with us. Oh, You're Tuesday, welcome. excuse me. Thank you for spending a Tuesday with us. You're welcome, Brian. Thank you. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for next week's, you can email coronacalls at kpfa.org. Or tune in live. Usually we air Mondays just after 7.30 a.m. Pacific on kpfa.org or 94.1 FM if you happen to be in the Bay. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. And we ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Tiegert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.